0: I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum.
1: And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI, and this is In AI We Trust. Kay, it's wonderful to see you. How are you doing? What have you been doing? Welcome back to the show. Thank you, thank you so much.
0: And it's always wonderful to start another session of these podcasts with you, Miriam. It's such a privilege and I learn so much from all of our amazing guests. I've I've had a, a busy summer took a little bit of holiday, as I hope everybody did, because we all need this to recharge. I had a wonderful week in Las Vegas with the HPE team talking about responsible AI a lot at their conference. And and now back in San Francisco with um, rebuilding the team after, sadly, we had a few people go, but they went to great places like Harvard to do a master's degree, so, you know, how can, how can I stop doing that however much I want to keep the team together? What about you, Miriam?
1: Well, I'm glad to hear you did get some rest because it's well-deserved. Everyone does need a recharge. You're so right. We luckily did have a recharge because we have a lot of exciting things coming up, just With the badge program alone, tomorrow we will host our final session of our second cohort, which I'm really excited about because as you know, this this is a new session where it will be participant run and we'll tie together all the great things we've learned about over the past six months uh, and talk about big picture. What is responsible AI? What does one need to do? What are the important steps? Uh, And we'll get to hear from the participants who are doing this work and they will get to learn from each other And I'm really looking forward to that, as well as our reconvening, where we get together our alumni and our current participants. That'll be next month with EEOC Commissioner Keith Sonderling, who will share with us what we need to know about at the EEOC front on on AI building deployment. And then on October 27th, we will start our next cohort of the badge. So, so many things going on, but just in that space alone, I'm so excited that we'll be solidifying some of our lessons with our community and and grow it even larger in the coming month.
0: That's brilliant. Bring it on.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes. And speaking of bringing it on, I'm so excited to bring on today's guest whom I know we will all learn a great deal from Krishnaram Kenthapati, who is uh, really a deep thinker on on responsible AI given his extensive experience in this space. Welcome to this week's episode of an AI We Trust. We are so pleased this week to be joined by Krishnaram Kenthapati. Krishnaram's experience and scholarships focus on fairness, transparency, explainability, privacy in AI and machine learning systems. So, exactly what we like to discuss on this show and why we're so pleased to have you. He is currently a chief scientist of Fiddler AI, an enterprise startup building a responsible AI and machine learning monitoring platform. We'll get into more of what that is and what you need to know about it. Prior to Fiddler AI, He was Principal Scientist at Amazon AWS AI, and prior to that, at LinkedIn AI's team, serving as a representative to their Microsoft AI and Ethics in Engineering and Research, Aether Advisory Board. Prior to that, he was a researcher in Microsoft Research, Silicon Valley and received his bachelor's degree in computer science and engineering uh, as well as his PhD in computer science and that was at Stanford. So Krishnaram, you clearly have a lot of experience. You spent years thinking about AI and and now responsible AI. And for those reasons, uh, we are so pleased to have you on our show. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks Miriam for the the kind introduction and uh, thanks for having me on the show.
1: It's our pleasure. So given this depth of experience and insights you have into AI and responsible AI, can you start us off by answering how did you first become interested in ethical considerations around the use of artificial intelligence?
2: Uh, So my first experience with the ethical considerations was uh, during my PhD. Uh, Back then, I uh, did my PhD on the topic of uh, data privacy specifically on developing models and algorithms for achieving uh, privacy and for a uh, protecting privacy of users so right after my phd i joined uh, industry and i sensed that there was some feel like privacy winter in industry in academia there was a lot of interest on topics like privacy, but in industry, I I felt that there's not as much of an interest in privacy back then. And over the years, I worked on topics like uh, improving web search, recommender systems, and so forth. And while I was at LinkedIn, I noticed that, just like privacy, fairness or bias is also uh, very important, especially since LinkedIn focuses on hiring. If we can think of one domain where bias and fairness is very important, it is hiring. If somebody is impacted due to bias in models, they they may have a lifelong impact due to that that bias. So I started looking into how to reason about fairness and bias in uh, hiring related models. So at LinkedIn, we had a a chance to deploy one of the early uh, interventions on fairness uh, in the large scale setting. So we started with uh, how to ensure representativeness when it comes to the results of LinkedIn's talent search uh, models. Then once we deployed that, we thought that, why should we uh, stop there? Let's uh, look at measuring biases for all models at LinkedIn. We developed a toolkit called a LinkedIn Fairness Toolkit, which was open-sourced afterwards. After LinkedIn, I thought, so we started with the hiring domain. Now, how do we scale this to other domains? That's what brought me to Amazon uh, AWS machine learning team, uh, where we had the chance to build tools for bias and explainability that are applicable for uh, uh, machine learning model developers from all industries. And later at Fiddler, uh, I am continuing that thread where we are building a platform for responsible AI, and tools for measuring biases, tools for explainability, and monitoring models that are applicable for customers from almost all industries, and customers using several different uh, web-based platforms.
0: That's wonderful to hear. And uh, you talked about bias and fairness, and also, obviously, your experience of data and privacy. But obviously, you know, the whole world seems to be able to agree that there are some things that are really important in responsible AI, sort of pillars or tenets of responsible AI. And so we thought a good starting point would be to have you think about how, explain how you see those different pillars and whether when you think about it, you give different weight to the bias problem, or the fairness problem, or the accountability problem, or whether you think that they all perhaps have equal weight? Uh,
2: So that's a a great uh, question. Uh, So so I would like to start with uh, emphasizing that, uh, traditionally, uh, the machine learning practitioners largely focused on accuracy or performance of the models. Then there was a realization that just focusing on, say, accuracy or performance of the models as a whole is not enough. We need to think about notions like security, right? So, there is a now an understanding that when it comes to machine learning models or data driven systems, we should think of security by design as opposed to viewing security as an afterthought. So likewise, I I would like to reason that we should think of say notions like privacy also by design or fairness, uh, explainability, transparency by design. So instead of weaving these as dimensions to look at afterwards, while designing machine learning systems, while designing uh, AI-based products, we should take these factors into account upfront. And these are just a few examples. Depending on the domain, we may need other factors. For example, if the machine learning models are being applied in a highly um, sensitive setting, safety may be very important. Say, think of healthcare, if models are used for say diagnosis of uh, diseases or even to help assist doctors in treatment or in surgery and so forth, safety becomes extremely important. In other domains, uh, robustness of the model may be very important. We want to make sure that the models don't drastically change their predictions when there are minor perturbations in the input. Or uh, we want to make sure that the models are not um, easily susceptible to uh, adversarial attacks when bad actors try to make the models behave in uh, ways that they want rather than the way we want the models to behave. So there are several of these factors. Uh, I, I don't think we can say that one of these is more important than the other. That might depend largely on the application setting. So depending on the application setting the weight that we have we need to attach to say privacy or fairness or transparency or safety might differ and that's something that we collectively need to come to terms with we need to collectively agree on w- what are those weights and what are the trade offs if there are any that we should uh, arrive at
1: thank you for that helpful overview on on some of the core considerations in Responsible AI and why each of them is so critical uh, in the end result. So now that we've established the, some of the basics of Responsible AI, can you explain from your perspective why is it so important that a company care about in particular bias in machine learning models and systems and, and Responsible AI more broadly? And In addition, I know you've thought a lot about the importance of why these systems need to be checked not just in the creation phase. Um, they don't need just to be model validation programs. We really need to make sure that as AI iterates, post-deployment, these checks are continually in place. So w- what advice do you have for companies as to why this needs to be a priority for them?
2: So let, let me start with the uh, the second question, right, which is about why we need to care about responsible AI aspects even after the model is deployed. So, so I want to emphasize that it's very important to monitor uh, AI tools continuously, right? even after they're deployed. So unlike traditional software, which may often have a very uh, well understood and deterministic behavior, with machine learning models, that's often not the case. Uh, one may have done extensive testing, uh, including say stress testing of the models before deployment, but once they're deployed, the, the models may develop biases or the models may Uh, not work as intended compared to how they were working during uh, development. There are a few reasons for this. So one is that the models may have been tested on some population, but deployed on a population which is very somewhat different. Um, And the model developer may not have uh, known exactly about the population to which the model is uh, deployed. So that is one reason. The the other reason is that there are always changes in real-world conditions, Uh, say even um, say uh, and a and, uh, yeah, yeah, drastic event like COVID pandemic, uh, as an example. right? When there, all the assumptions that worked before the pandemic no longer hold once the pandemic took effect. So due to reasons like this, uh, it's very important to monitor the models even after they're deployed. Um, even when it comes to monitoring, uh, what I am seeing is that just monitoring for the performance or accuracy of the models is fully aligned with uh, business objectives of any organization. So business objectives like uh, revenue or profit or other uh, business metrics. So so in that sense, uh, it's in the best interest of any uh, company to monitor the deployed models, uh, even in the absence of any regulations. But but of course, if if you're looking into regulated domains like lending, hiring, healthcare, and so forth, and monitoring such models becomes all the more important. We want to monitor not only for performance or accuracy of the models, but we also want to make sure that the models are working well for all different subgroups, not just working well as a whole, but also working well for different races or genders, age groups, and so forth. And often not just by any one dimension, but also considering intersections of this, right? We want to make sure that the model works for uh, even when we take different uh, intersectional subgroups. So that these are some of the reasons uh, why we want to monitor the deployed models. Second, uh, let, uh, going back to the earlier question on, why should we care about, say, uh, bias? Um, as I alluded to, if we look at highly regulated domains, the reason is uh, clear. There are a variety of different laws and regulations prohibiting discrimination of uh, different types. So ranging from, say, uh, laws like uh, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 in the United States to more recent uh, regulations like European Union's uh, GDP or or California's uh, CCPA and several AA regulations currently uh, in in the process of taking effect. Uh, But my thought is that uh, even in the absence of such uh, laws or regulations, it's in the best uh, interest of a company to proactively perform audits of their models for bias. Uh, The the reason is the following. So if the company is providing, say, let's say online uh, APIs, it's fairly easy for people outside the company to perform such audits. This is what we noticed with, uh, say, facial analysis uh, APIs a few years back uh, when uh, uh, researchers Uh, Timnit Gebru and Joy Bolambini found out that these publicly available APIs do not work well for all different subgroups. Even if the APIs are not public facing, let's take, say, an example like credit card lending. Uh, If somebody is really determined, it's possible for uh, citizen auditors to detect biases. This is what we noticed with, uh, say, the Goldman Sachs, uh, Apple credit card issues a few years back. Uh, This is why I'm trying to argue that it's in the best interest of any company to proactively perform such audits so that they can prevent reputational harm And in some cases, they can also prevent legal or other liabilities by by kind of identifying issues themselves rather than somebody from outside the company detecting the issues.
0: That's such an important aspect of the work and so important, a a tenant that we try to ensure that everybody who comes through the badge program, who works with the forum, who is on our podcast makes. So thank you very much for So clearly articulating the importance uh, of the answers to both of those questions. I want to take you to your role as Chief Scientist of Fiddler AI, which is an enterprise that helps companies monitor and manage its models. Can you tell us a little bit more about the work at Fiddler AI and some of the actual challenges you consider and confront? when you're addressing those biases that you so clearly articulated in real-world ML systems?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, So at Fiddler, uh, we are building a platform for uh, enterprise to offer responsible AI and also monitor their models once they're deployed. So we provide functionalities like uh, how to monitor models Uh, For once they're deployed, how to explain the predictions made by the models, and also how to assess the models for any biases, Uh, both at the level of an individual dimension like gender uh, or race or age, and also at the level of, say, intersectional dimensions, like when we combine multiple of these attributes. Um, so the the uh, in terms of what challenges we are uh, encountering what or rather what challenges our customers are encountering so they so one broad challenges challenges in uh, understanding how to go about thinking about or measuring these biases uh, so how to which attributes should we care about biases a boat. Um, in some settings, this may be clear, like in say regulated, highly regulated domains, where uh, there are different protected characteristics uh, uh, or what a, a company needs to measure biases with respect to different protected characteristics. But in other domains, uh, often a question we get is. Uh, what, what are the different dimensions we may want to care about? Uh, and this may not necessarily be just the protected characteristics. Uh, this may be characteristics where, where the company wants to make sure that the model works well for all different subgroups. Um, there, there, there's often a, a concern around, are there failure modes of the model? Meaning, are there, say, some subgroup where the model may not work as well? and For those subgroups, do we then need to say either improve the model or uh, defer to human experts instead? So we need to at least understand what are the limitations of the model. So this is a broad challenge that we hear from our customers. Um, So another challenge we hear is that uh, when it comes specifically to measuring biases, uh, often a company may not have accurate values of the demographic attributes. So, for example, if you take a company like LinkedIn, historically, LinkedIn never collected uh, demographic attributes like gender, race, uh, veteran status, or other uh, characteristics. So the challenge is when we want to measure biases, we need to have access to those attributes. So that is a common challenge, uh, even in the banking industry. So we see that often uh, different proxies or used to to kind of estimate the race or other characteristics uh, of each uh, customer because these values may not be available in the first place. So these are are some of the challenges when it comes to operationalizing bias or fairness. Uh, So another broad challenge is that uh, if we contrast, say, uh, notions like privacy and fairness. So when it comes to, say, privacy, if we pull the attendees or the listeners of this podcast, uh, perhaps everyone would agree that protecting privacy of users is important, but we may potentially disagree on the, uh, the trade-offs between protecting privacy and ensuring, say, various business objectives. But when it comes to fairness, we may not even agree on what is the, the desired notion of fairness. The reason is that fairness is a lot more nuanced. There are tensions between say a notion of individual fairness and notions of group fairness. And even when it comes to notions of fairness at a group level, there are several different uh, objectives that one can go with and often these may be a tension or conflict with each other. There are both theoretical impossibility in results and also various practical considerations that we may run into.
1: And to follow up on this important point you're talking about challenges in defining fairness and and, uh, also the importance you're talking about in including fairness and privacy in the design. Um, I know you also think a lot about who needs to participate in the process, what that process needs to look like in order for it to be effective. Just having the conversation certainly is not enough. So in your perspective, from your experience, which stakeholders need to participate in this process uh, in order to make sure that it's effective uh, and that there's buy-in? What happens when there's not buy-in? What are the consequences um, if this process is not done in a really thoughtful, inclusive, and effective way?
2: So I would like to think of say this, the process of, the. I would like to think of fairness as, as a process, rather than as a say a technical construct. 2nd uh, so I'm not saying anything new here. So this has been emphasized by a lot of um, uh, researchers in fairness, as well as so, so, so fairness experts from several different domains. So w- when I say fairness as a process, uh, we have to perhaps start with uh, uh, do uh, asking the following questions. So first, we need to start with asking: Are we even tackling an ethical problem in the first place uh, is this a problem that for which we need to develop say data driven or missionary models so this is this is the first starting question the, then once we have agreed that this is uh, an ethical or acceptable problem that we want to work on the next uh, step might be do we have representation from all different stakeholders, even during the design of the project. So this might include, of course, people with technical expertise like um, engineers and uh, researchers. But also, we need to have people with background in uh, perhaps ethics uh, or social science, people with background in policy, uh, uh, background in law, uh, product design, user interface, and so forth. And also, in many settings, if the models may have an impact on the end users, it's also a good idea to have inputs from the potentially affected stakeholders themselves. Uh, This is, for instance, we did this when we were developing fairness interventions at LinkedIn. We we, we did surveys uh, and interviews with representative LinkedIn members to gauge whether what are their perspectives. I think that is very important. So I, I think we should start with Get, making sure that there are there is a diverse representation of all different stakeholders first in the process and then we need to think about what are the desired fairness criteria and this is something definitely a technical person would not be able to uh, decide in, in exclusion instead this this the, this has to be decided jointly by having all the stakeholders um, once we have agreement on what is the desired notion of, of fairness and perhaps what are the what is the the acceptable trade-off between say fairness and business metrics, then we can go about uh, quantifying that and achieving that trade-off or the desired outcome through algorithmic means. Uh, it's kind of very important to make sure that we don't think of fairness um, in a kind of like a philosophical manner, but we we kind of codify that in fairly specifically so that then we can have the machine learning models achieve those outcomes. Uh, so this is something that I, I remember being emphasized uh, nicely in the, uh, the ethical algorithm by professors uh, Michael Kearns and Aaron Roth. Uh, so they, they emphasize that, the AI tools are not necessarily bad. Uh, With sufficient checks on bias, transparency, and other criteria, the algorithmic tools can help us incorporate our social values or values that we care about as a society. The challenge is that we need to articulate these values in a quantifiable or measurable manner. Right, like otherwise the algorithms, since they don't have a way to think themselves, we, we and we don't want the algorithms to be making these decisions. We need to articulate them in a way that the algorithms can then understand and uh, enforce. I think that's the that's a key challenge uh, broadly in this space.
0: Thank you very much for that, and uh, great reminders to read around this topic as well. So obviously, in addition to the work that you're doing now at Fiddler AI, you've also worked on responsible AI issues at Amazon and LinkedIn, as we talked about earlier. And you've mentioned your work at LinkedIn on a couple of occasions. So I wonder whether we could dig a little deeper into that. And you could tell us a little bit about the work at LinkedIn on fairness in talent search systems. What were the biggest takeaways for you about what you did and what didn't work and might serve as a lesson to inform your current work, your perspective, and help other people who are listening to this podcast?
2: Uh, Sure. Uh, So at at LinkedIn, uh, the work we did was part of uh, a a notion called diversity by design. So the the problem that LinkedIn faced was that uh, on the one hand, LinkedIn's enterprise customers were asking LinkedIn as to how LinkedIn can help improve the diversity of uh, their workforce diversity during recruiting, and likewise, even from an uh, from the LinkedIn's values, one of the key values was to ensure that the machine learning models do not exhibit bias or we don't want to increase any bias that might already exist in the society uh, so specifically when it, the the part that uh, we worked on was what we called representational ranking in uh, linkedin's talent search systems so by representational ranking what we um, meant was we wanted to ensure that the top results shown when a recruiter searches for say a skill or a position is reflective of the underlying talent pool. So if the recruiter is looking for user experience designers in San Francisco Bay Area, we wanted to make sure that the top results shown to the recruiter are reflective of the demographic pool of all the qualified user experience researchers in San Francisco Bay Area. So this is the work that we started doing at LinkedIn, so in terms of what we learned, uh, uh, so before going into what we learned, uh, the, we wrote an engineering blog post and also a, a technical paper on this work. So there is there is a lot of material available if you want to know more about the specific technical details of this work. So I want to just touch upon some of the practical challenges that we, uh, we faced here. So first uh, takeaway for me was, as I emphasized earlier, Collaboration across all different stakeholders was essential for the success of this project. Uh, So I I realized that the decisions in terms of what is uh, fairness or bias is something that needs to be made by all the different stakeholders. At the same time, we wanted to design our system in a way that can accommodate different notions of fairness uh, or different notions of Uh, desired outcome. So we we design the system in a way that can accommodate this as an input. Say, let's say uh, we collectively decide that this is the final outcome that we want. And we specify that in this case as a desired distribution on the demographic attributes as an input to the model. And we then built technical tools to achieve that uh, desired outcome. So, in this manner, given that this is a fairly uh, social technical domain, we were able to partly separate the social or policy aspects and the technical aspects. So, we, we were able to build the technical system in a way that can support different social or policy choices. The the intuition or the reasoning was that today we may collectively agree on some notion of fairness but this can evolve over time as our collectively as a society we evolve our notions of what is acceptable or what is fair that might change over time and we wanted to design the tool to accommodate these different uh, uh, choices the the other lesson was that uh, we need to make progress in small steps uh, without waiting for the perfect solution um, as i alluded to earlier so often a uh, challenge in such systems is that we may not have access to readily available demographic dimensions. And this was definitely the case in LinkedIn setting. Or uh, there may be other challenges wherein uh, deploying such interventions might 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 mean that the the solution that we deploy is not necessarily the perfect solution. So that's also something that we had to uh, keep in mind. So we, we always took the view that the solution is Even if the solution is not perfect, we would always take baby steps with the goal of eventually becoming better and better.
1: Well, a lesson we all can learn from, one step in front of the other to get to the ultimate goal. And and thank you for walking us through some of the process uh, you learned from and and helped build. Uh, So to pivot a little bit in our thoughts. we are currently sitting in the U.S., so this question is is thinking about U.S. lawmakers or President Biden. But uh, the question is, given your deep. Ex- Experience in creating responsible AI. And given the need to have, at least for Kay and I, our bias is that, that government needs to be a partner in ensuring that uh, there's opportunities for innovation, um, but also making sure that this is done in an equitable way, in a safe way. So, what advice would you give uh, policymakers on the, the Hill or to those in the Biden administration or to the government of your choice, to, telling them how they could help you in? ensure that you're doing your job effectively and reducing bias in AI, ensuring that we have sufficient privacy protection in our AI systems.
2: So I'll kind of maybe address this in uh, two aspects. One, the first aspect is ensuring that there is a lot of conversation between people with policy or government or law backgrounds and people with, say, Technical or product and related backgrounds, especially in the Silicon Valley, I see such conversations st- happening off late. For instance, there was a recent workshop um, at uh, Stanford organized by Stanford's uh, HAI on uh, uh, and bringing together lawmakers and technical experts. I think I think that's very important because uh, this is something this is a domain that. Uh, the technical experts alone, or the law ma- makers alone, would not be able to address. And we need to work together on this. And and in that respect, I think um, the committees, like the committee that William is part of, are are always in the the right direction along those lines. Um, the second aspect I want to uh, touch upon is that um, even though at the beginning of the podcast I emphasize that it is it's in the best interest of an organization to do such audits themselves. I, I still think that having the right incentives is important because in the absence of regulations or forcing functions, the natural tendency of an organization would be to just optimize for the neopic or near-term business objectives, right? And, and that is something, uh, that, that's the place where having appropriately crafted EA regulations can go a long way. Uh, to provide the right incentives for uh, the tech companies as well as uh, other companies, companies in other industries. Uh, So I I think from that angle, I, I think that having AA regulations, preferably at the federal level, as opposed to having a number of different regulations from different states is the right way to go. We have precedences like the European Union's GDPR or, or the more recent uh, AA regulations ha- going on, being taking place in Europe as well as several other countries. So I think that that is the that, that is definitely like having appropriately crafted regulations which are designed with inputs from all stakeholders, including the technical experts. Uh, I think is definitely the the right way to go.
0: Absolutely. And of course, I, I agree. That's what we try to do all the time to bring everyone together to make the benefits of AI that we are know are there, safe for, for everybody and, and accessible for everybody. So thank you for talking about that. Sadly, we're coming to the end of the show. And uh, I we always ask the same question of everybody at the end of the show. And so it is, if you had a magic wand to achieve one wish to help us achieve responsible AI, what would your wish be? I think that's
2: a great uh, uh, question. And I'll kind of maybe reflect back on these incentives. right? The magic wand that I have in mind is how do we ensure incentive mechanisms for adoption of responsible AI practices uh, for different stakeholders? So let's let's kind of consider at the level of individuals, uh, teams, uh, organizations, uh, or even the society as a whole. Uh, Starting with individuals and teams, I I think that companies need to create mechanisms wherein they, they have to reward or incentivize individuals and teams to do say bias audits uh, and stress test their models. Uh, Just like today they are incentivized enough to improve business metrics. So today, if you take a data scientist, they perhaps have a lot more to gain by improving some business metrics like maybe click through rate or improving some profit or revenue as opposed to saying that oh i discovered biases in our machine learning models so i think that is something that we need to change that needs to be a mindset change and this is something that uh, the ceos and other leaders at an organization have to inculcate in the organizational culture Uh, it's not enough to uh, say in words that uh, we care about responsible AI, instead, they need to translate that intent into concrete actions within their organization in terms of creating such appropriate incentive mechanisms. Then, uh, when it comes to the level of, say, organizations or industries, uh, as I mentioned before, having appropriately designed AI regulations will go a long way. Something I have seen with the GDPR, uh, and more recently with uh, New York City's AI hiring law, is that when there are such regulations, Uh, companies often try to pretend as though those regulations exist across the world, right? From an organization perspective, it's it's it's, it's, uh, easier to design something that works in all domains as opposed to designing something specially for, say, just New York City. So if there are such regulations, I think that will help the society as a whole. If U.S. has appropriate AI regulations, that will force companies to adopt such practices not just in U.S., or Europe or a few regulated countries, but hopefully like across the entire world. I think from that we as a society uh, as a whole can benefit. And uh, when it comes to society, I think it's very important to educate the public on the need for responsible AI so that the public can go and demand that companies adopt responsible AI practices. I think I've think I I just uh, let all of us reflect on these different dimensions.
1: Hopefully that will not take a magic wand, Kushnaram. I hope that those listening in the policy space uh, will take heed to the insights that you've shared bring on the technical experts uh, to partner and make sure that we have the incentives aligned to make sure that uh, it's not just about efficiency and productivity, but that our AI is about inclusivity and impact to all of its users. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and insights. Thank you for joining us today.
2: Uh, thanks Kay and Miriam for hosting me today and it was a pleasure talking to you.
1: Thank you. Well, Kay, as we thought, that was yet another episode where I learned so much. I hope our listeners did too. What were some of the big takeaways for you? I think just how,
0: how extremely thoughtful he has
1: been all of his
0: career. So, you know, he started with his PhD thinking about these, these topics. And it's so, so welcome to find somebody who has, over a long time, thought deeply and then more deeply about this particular topic. I think the the takeaways for me are, are definitely around, you know, you can't just do this at the beginning, at the front end, you have to continue to um, think about your models. And I thought it was also nice that he credited other people. You know, he gave us a book to read and he talked about Timnitz and Joy's work as well. And, and really sort of making, he's just so thoughtful about the work that they're doing at Fiddler and the way that they're doing it and making sure that they really think through all these fantastic pieces of best practice that are now coming in from everywhere.
1: Yeah, and likewise, I really liked how in his explanations, he helps us bring these concepts into action. So there's so much discussion about fairness, and I like that he, first of all, clarifies it is a process. You're never gonna answer the question of what is fairness, um, both because it's evolving, there'll be different contexts, there's uh, uh, different uses, different populations uh, to whom your machine learning and other models will be applied over time. And then the importance of translating your intent into action, uh, so a lot about the actualization uh, of your thoughts, and 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 that thinking about what you want to achieve is a really important step, but it's just the first step of many and continuously checking in on what is your intent and how is that playing out in your AI systems. I also really uh, appreciate his uh, warning to companies. You know, we talk a lot about the litigation and the regulations that they need to be prepared for. In addition to the fact that it's the right thing to do to make sure that their mm-hmm. products are safe and inclusive, um, but he also brings up the very important point that citizens, researchers, academics are getting more savvy. Journalists, uh, there's an algorithmic journalist profession uh, where where they under they both use algorithms to do their work, as well as deeply investigate the algorithms that have become so important in our lives. And so um, one cannot rest easy that that their systems are protected by a black box, because more and more, uh, in addition to the governments that are going to ensure their safe systems, uh, we're also going to see different ways that citizens, consumers, journalists can play their role in ensuring that their AI is, is safe and is doing the work they expect it to as well. Uh, And finally, I really appreciate his focus on incentives um, that, you know, at the end of the day, like you and I always talk about, it has a business need, business purpose that you answer to shareholders, you answer to your consumers. And so there's the key part that educating consumers makes sure that uh, businesses are held accountable. uh, But there's also the role of government and others to ensure that there are other ways to incentivize companies to ensure that they are doing this hard work, that they are taking a moment to pause and and see if if the work is harming anyone, to make sure that it's actually having the impact they want it to and think it is, and and who have they not thought about in the process that they need to along the way during and after deployment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And so refreshing to have a CEO of a, a small startup company saying, actually regulation won't kill innovation and probably will help us a great deal and um, very refreshing and and important piece of of help in the thinking around should there be regulation and and what should that look like I also like you loved the idea that he talked about the need for the public to understand so that they can actually be involved citizens in what is their future.
1: Absolutely. So a wonderful post-summer refresh, reset, recharge. So wonderful to see you and have this conversation with you again today. And I'm already looking forward to our next one.
0: Absolutely. See you soon. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org.
1: And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.